0: Overcoming anxiety and fear, educating the reluctant student, cultivating lasting relationships, and strengthening our faith. My hope is that the insights offered on the show will help us envision ourselves using our unique gifts and talents on greater levels for greater purposes. I am so pleased to be joined by Nathaniel Turner It's such an honor to have you as a guest. I have had an opportunity to peruse through some of your books. You're an awesome writer. I love what you're about, especially as it relates to the way your heart toward your son. So with that, we've already had a little opportunity to chat a little bit on a different day. But go ahead and tell uh, my guests a little more about yourself.
1: So I'm uh, my origin story. I'm originally from Gary, Indiana, the son of Gladys and Tommy Turner, the grandson of, of Robert and Ari and Adrana. Yeah, I'm a product of, of a steel city and mm-hmm. a product of two parents who wanted something different for their son. Uh, my mother wanted me to be a gift of God, thus, I received the name Nathaniel. Mm -hmm. My father wanted me to be a revolutionary, thus my initials are NAT as in Nat Turner.
2: So Mm -hmm. I'm, I'm
1: kind of a an amalgamation of of the hopes and dreams of two different people, and I try now to live out those those hopes and dreams they have for me each day.
0: You know, that's a somewhat unique introduction in the sense that I love the way you honored the past to talk about the present, to talk about yourself that. You get that you can't say who you are without saying who they are. I love that. Wonderful. Yeah. So, we're going to jump right in. You call yourself a humanity propulsion engineer? I do. What does that mean?
1: Great question. I'm, I'm a little bit, of, I like to think of myself a little bit as a storyteller. So, I'm going to tell you a story along with
0: it. Okay. My
1: son, who is a fourth year PhD candidate in electrical and computer engineering at Carnegie Mellon. He is the engineer, right? So, so when I first said to him, when I first he first heard me say it, he was like, "Hey, you're not an engineer. I went to school to be an engineer. You didn't." <laughs> and I said, "Yes, son, but engineering is more obviously than a than a rote discipline that you learn in school. Mm-hmm. Engineering is about creating structures, systems, pro- providing tools, techniques, and strategies for even for human beings to live amongst ourselves more successfully." Two mm-hmm. so years ago, I learned that there were 17 things that threaten the existence of planet Earth. And those are 17 things that all humans who care about whether or not we propel the species for should be working toward. So today, I consider myself a humanity propulsion engineer because I feel it's my responsibility, as it is everyone, to find a way to alleviate those 17 things that threaten the planet so that we can propel humanity forward. And thus, that's why I call myself a humanity anything
0: You share that you believe or teach from a backwards design involving five pillars or steps.
1: So, I think a backward design is this. I think every time you and I decide to go somewhere today, we typically use our phones and we plug in the location where we want to go. And mm-hmm. that is essentially backward design. We're mm-hmm. asking our phones, I won't say it because my phone will. That will ask. I'll say I can say the others, Alexa and Siri. I can't say that the one I have is begins with a G. But when you <laughs> when you say to it, "Hey, I need directions to wherever," that device is then suddenly going to start calculating the distance, the turns that you should make. Uh, if you ask for, during the trip for places where you can stop and eat, where there's gas, it's going to map out a process for you to get there. I think mean, life is very much the same thing, with the exception that most of us are not honest about what we want done. And so what I what I ask people to do is that is the question if the world were perfect, you would do what? So once we know what that perfect thing is or looks like to you, then the goal is to then create strategies. go back to engineering, strategies, mm-hmm. implement tools, techniques to get you to from where you are currently to the place that you say
2: you're most interested?
0: You know, I think so. We do have a similar understanding. I think the only thing that I would add is from my spiritual perspective. I feel like we have a purpose and that design exists where we will feel that our talents and gifts are most used. I agree with you for the sake of not just ourselves, but humanity. And I feel that when we get in touch with what that is, Kind of everything else is a backwards design to to go back to that original outcome.
1: Well, I with you completely, but even uh, certainly with the the spiritual piece, I don't I don't leave that out. I just what I what I believe is this: most of us grew up being in in the U.S. We grew up in a nation that considers itself a Christian nation, so that there therefore being we're we're taught about this Trinity, Father, Son, and Holy Ghost. We're mm -hmm. also taught about a Trinity: mind, body, and spirit what i don't think we do enough of in this country is and i and I and i just say this country because i can't speak about any place else credibly i have visited other places but i don't know like i know this country right we are all trinity you are trinity i am a trinity but what we mm-hmm. typically do is we only focus on that portion of our trinity that we're most comfortable with developing so if, if you are a person of great intellectual aptitude you're, you'll focus all the time on your intellect. Mm-hmm. You'll watch your body fall apart.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: You'll be a terrible person with your spirit. And so when I think about back of design, what I'm asking you is not just about what you want most for one aspect of your training, but I'm thinking about the entire aspect such that when your time on this earth is over, who will we remember you having been while you are here?
0: Mind, body, and spirit. Mm-hmm. I love it. I agree. We do tend to focus a little more on one area. I guilty in terms of finding that balance (laughs) with all three. I think I'm doing pretty good in a couple of areas, still need to work on some other, but I actually think those other three areas impact my remaining area. So it's all about growth in all of those areas still to achieve all three Walking in Purpose in all three. I hope that made sense. That was a little no, bit of a tongue
2: twister. To make, it makes sense to me.
0: So you wrote the book Raising Superman. Mm-hmm. I mean, super man. Exactly. Let me say it correctly. Exactly. And I love Don't the title serious. too. <laughs> and it's about how you brought up a successful young man. And in it, you let him know what you hope for him and how you feel about him. And I just have the utmost respect. I want to honor you for that. And I feel like we're kindred spirits for that, because while you were doing that for your son, I'm on the other side of the country and I'm doing a similar thing, just not as formally as you did it. I leave notes all the time and I write special cards and I'm trying to give my daughter gifts through word to understand how her mother feels about her now, but that will stay with her when I pass on and I put it in a hope chest with other little items from when she was a baby all the way until now. So we are definitely kindred spirits. And I just, I love meeting. I I wanna say, I think you're the first man I've ever met who has been that strategic that I'm aware of, that I'm aware of. So I know that's a long introduction to ask you to speak about it, but why is writing one's child the most important thing that parents can do. Okay, so first, I'm gonna I'm gonna tell you
1: the first person that I heard of that, that did it is a guy named Lord Chesterfield, and he mm-hmm. did that in 1767. Un, unbeknownst to me, I don't know anyone else who who has written their son throughout the span of his lifetime or continuously, but Lord Chesterfield and I, and so I tell people. Mm-hmm. I'm not a lord, but feel free to bow and curse
0: <laughs> you. are hilarious. <laughs> so,
1: the reason that it's important to me is it, a couple of things. First and foremost, I don't think, I, I, didn't, I didn't think, and I'm not sure that I will, that I'll do anything that's memorable enough that, that the world, that I will do anything in the world that will, will allow the world to know that I was here. But perhaps the best thing that I could do is to make sure that I raised a child who could do something. So when you talk about your faith, I'm reminded of, you know, passages in the, in the Bible that talk about so so-and-so so-and-so, and so so-and-so mm-hmm. begot so and so and so and so got so and so. And the only reason that the so and so who begot so and so is remembered is because somebody else went on to do something that was memorable. For me, the, the writing of my son letters was a part of my way to be a part of that process. The, the other thing that I learned by writing him was it was cathartic for me. I had a lot of unsettled issues with my own childhood. And writing my son was kind of a way for me to have my own version of counseling. So something that, that men typically don't like to do, especially black men. I was able to, to think really deeply about my childhood, what I wanted for my son, and, and why I shouldn't replicate the same Misdeeds that my parents did. So oftentimes I hear parents say, well, I was raised that way. And I'm like, yeah, but that was terrible. So why Mm -hmm. are you doing the same thing? And writing him forced me to look at myself differently. And then the third thing that happened was that he decided he wanted to learn to read as a two-year-old. And he Mm -hmm. was learning to read because he wanted to read his father's last.
0: Beautiful. So... Again, I have tremendous respect for that, and I like that you saw things that you didn't want the cycle to repeat. So you're breaking cycles and patterns. That's not to say that your parents or your father didn't do some things right, but we do learn. We do learn, and as we a saying, my mother has raised me is when you know better, do better, <laughs> and if you keep doing that, each generation will keep progressing. But I think that in what you've done, you haven't just forgotten a son who will do great things. You did great things by setting him up to be able to stand on your shoulders. So that's great within itself. I followed your intent and what you said, but I I think there is honor for you already. So I'm going to ask you, you did touch on some things that you maybe didn't receive in your life and how it impacted you. And that's why you wanted to to do better, so to speak. So I'm going to ask you, will you unpack a little bit more of what those things are? And the reason I'm asking you to do that is because I think sometimes we leave out vital parts of our story, the pain of it, the trial of it, the hurt of it. And we only talk about how we overcame after the epiphany happened. And sometimes other people can't understand how you got from point A to point Z. I think it's important for us to be a bridge. Uh, Share your story with the understanding of being a bridge for others.
1: Yeah, I'm glad you asked that. One of the things that typically troubles me is that people oftentimes look at you and assume you're a finished product. Mm -hmm. and, And they only see the part of the shiny thing and they didn't see all of the work that it went to make the thing shine. So yeah, I am I am a product of eight ACEs, which are known as adverse childhood experiences. Hmm. Um there are 10 things that the CDC says threatens the success of a human. If you have, I think 33% of the population they believe have at least one ace. The thoughts are that if you have three or more aces, you're more likely to Die from a like, heart disease or have cancer or uh, just that you will you will die some short and you'll short you'll, some painful life and you'll die a very short or live a short life so i have eight of those things here. so one has to acknowledge first who you are so mm-hmm. i acknowledge that hey I, there's some things that happened to me as a child that should never happen to anyone else right um, there's some things that um are in my past that I have to I have to acknowledge in order to move forward
2: mm-hmm.
1: so so i've done I've, I've started to do that and having a child especially helped me to do that but what else helped me to do that was that I met people along the way who decided to care deeply for me for no mm-hmm. apparent reason. I have what I call my starting five there are five people who are not my parents who decided to love me for no. There is no mm-hmm. justifiable reason. who found me as a, a lost sophomore in high school, who mm-hmm. was told the best he could hope to do with his life was join the military. And those mm-hmm. five people told me, Absolutely not. You could do way more than that. When mm-hmm. I'm did as much as show up in my house to tell my mother if they didn't want to raise me, he would take me and take care of wow. me. So those five people helped put me on the pathway to believing that I could that I could do more. Because until then I, you know, I don't know what I was going to do. My father asked me. He told me after my sophomore year of high school, he said, "You know, in two years, you have to make make uh, make a decision. You have three choices." And I was like, "What are you talking about?" He said, "You can a you can a join the military." And you know how I feel about a black man being. So he served in the in the late fifties or early sixties, and mm-hmm. I actually was not a good screen him. He mm-hmm. said, "You can get a job and move out of my house and get your own house."
2: Mm-hmm. Or you can go
1: to college. And I was like, Well, how am I going to college? I have nothing but I have nothing but C I'm I'm barely hanging on. Uh-huh. It's not my problem. It's your problem. <laughs> but I found five two people who decided to pour into my life and help me figure out how to do that. I owe
2: them for being here today.
0: So of those eight things that were trying for you, is there one, two, three that you wouldn't mind unpacking? Oh yeah, that?
1: absolutely. So mm-hmm. the eight things are, some Some of the eight things are, are this, living in a home where someone abuses alcohol, living mm-hmm. in a home where someone's been formally incarcerated, mm-hmm. living in a home where uh, a parent has been abused, living in a home where you have been abused, uh, mm-hmm. living in a home where um, your family struggles financially. Mm-hmm. Those are all the kinds of things that are part of my childhood.
0: How did you internalize that in terms of how did it make you feel about yourself? What did you think? Did you have any behavior because of those conditions?
1: My mother has been the model of the woman I have faced a part of all my life. I tell my wife I married my mother. Some days that's a good thing. <laughs> this may be more than you asked for, but <laughs> this is what you get from me. <laughs> <laughs> Some days that's a good thing, some days that's a terrible thing. I, I've I've chased trying to heal my mother because as a child I there was nothing I could do to heal. My, and I confronted my father and we went outside in the front yard to fight. Um, but until then there was nothing that I could do to get my father to keep his hands off my mother. So
0: Okay. Thank you for being so candid and sharing that. Again, you're a very successful man today, but I'm always interested in having my audience know, you know, the broad spectrum of your life. And so they can be encouraged and say, you know what? This person had difficult, challenging circumstances as do I or did I, and look where they are today. So there's hope.
1: Yeah. Can I, can I say one, one of the things I don't want to leave it? It's slowly sounding like my father didn't give me any Absolutely. value. So, because here's the other part of it.
2: Mm-hmm. There were
1: some terrible things that happened, but as I've gotten older, I've recognized that there were some lessons to be extracted. So, my father was big about your own self, self reliance. And so, one, one birthday, my, it was going to be my fifth, my 10th grade, my, my fifth grade, I was turning Ten and my parents asked me what I wanted for my fourth grade birthday, and I wanted one of those Huffy uh, motocross bicycles. Mm-hmm. And my father said, "Hey, man, don't get that bike." And mm-hmm. I said, no, "You don't know. I'm thinking you don't know what you're talking about. Here you are again, just <laughs> always trying to control me." He said, "You don't want that bike. Next year, everybody's gonna be riding at ten speed, and you're gonna be on this bike because we can't afford to get you on the GMR bike." And Pamela, he was right. Like, the following year <laughs> rolled around. Everybody was riding 10 speeds. <laughs> I still had this old motocross bike. It was mm-hmm. too little for me now. Right, I couldn't keep up with everybody on the 10 speed. And so I, so when they said, "Well, what do you want for your birthday?" I said, "I want a 10 speed." He said, "Yo, we don't find no money by you another bike." And what what he said to me then was, "He said, so you want a bike? How bad do you want it?" And I was like, "Well, I want a bike." So he walks me to the garage, and he under he, he opens the door and points to the lawnmower. He points to the rake, and he points to the shovel. And he says, if a man wants to eat, a man's got to work. If mm. you want your 10-speed bike, there's a lawnmower. I'll give you the money. to. I'll loan you the money for your first take of gas. Uh-huh. And there's a rake, and there's a shovel. And you can work until you can come up with the money by the bike. And and within uh, about you know, 35 days, 45 days, I had the money to buy my 10-speed. It was a Schwinn, and it cost me $100. And I made enough money in that month and a half or so to buy my own bike. And while at the time I thought my father was an absolute jerk, when I look back on it now, I've been in business for myself for over 25 years. <laughs> right? It makes all the sense in the world because, you know, a foundational moment in my life that my father taught me how to take care
0: of myself. Work ethic. That's a wonderful gift to get. Boy, we must be close in age because. I remember those bikes (laughs) I'm picturing them (laughs) I had a Schwinn also that's funny you you were making me go I'm listening to your story and honoring what you're saying about (laughs) your father but I'm also thinking about my childhood I remember on Christmas when I got my Schwinn I had the female version and my brother had the male version and they told us don't fall on your bike or you won't be able to ride it and um I fell and I hurt my knee so badly, but I wouldn't tell them I fell. So I have a scar to this day that probably needed stitches or something. <laughs> it it kind of like keloided or something, but I'm off topic, aren't I? I'm going to jump back to raising Superman. What steps did you take to ensure your son's school and life success? So
1: again, big being performing a backward design, at the mm-hmm. time that I learned I was gonna be a father, I was in law school. I was at a school that um, it's, a, it's a good school, but it wasn't a great school. It, it wasn't the kind of school that when you leave, the first thing people say is, like, if I had gone to Harvard, you'd introduce me to Harvard attorney, Nathaniel Turner, Yale attorney, mm-hmm. Princeton attorney. But you did. And, and and it's and and so what I wanted to do was I wanted to make sure that when my son showed up, he would have attended a place that people could say, Okay. This is who he is. Now I couldn't guarantee it, but what we did was we wrote Harvard for an application and we took the application from Harvard and broke that application down into what we call now the life template. At the time, all we were hoping to do was find out how one what what is Harvard required for admission. And so that was at the time, of course, the great grades, the test scores. And but then there were two other elements that we didn't expect. And as Harvard said this was in 1994, Harvard wanted students as they said, who cared for something greater than themselves. And they were looking for students who were world citizens. And we were like, huh. And so those three things became the, the three elements that we would use to, to raise our son, to make sure he was what we now call intellectually ambitious. Hey, great that you test well. It's great that you have great, uh, grades, But what we really care about is that you love learning, well beyond this so that you're interested in enlightenment more than you are in getting great grades. Second component, which now we call uh, global and cultural competency, we wanted to make sure he could speak other languages at the very least so that he could have conversations with people in their own tongue. I think there's great value in being able to talk to people in their own language and then to be able to understand their culture so you could pick up and go and be a part of a culture but you can speak a language and be a part of other people's world. And then the last part was to raise someone uh, who was humanitarian driven, who understood that, that his life was something about something bigger and better than him. And mm-hmm. his, his responsibility was to do all he could so that other people could enjoy the, essentially the, the benefits of this, this great thing called life.
0: Wonderful. So you came up with this plan that became a template and it really started by reviewing Harvard's application. And you kind of pulled it apart and said, what are the essential elements of this? And, yeah. and since then, you've taught other people how to do the same, haven't you?
1: Yeah. So the template now is because, again, the, the, initially we were thinking about, well, what do we need to do in terms of grades and test scores? But then we moved beyond that and said, you know, what we need more than anything these days are people who can think critically. And people who care about being enlightened. We have, you know, we live in such a fractured society where, where folks can go on a, a social media page and read something and think that Mm -hmm. that is the truth and never take any time to do any kind of, you know, research or examination to see what it is that they are seeing flashing on the screen. Is that the truth? (laughs) We wanted to raise somebody who would, who would be willing to investigate and would look for, search for truth. We move beyond that. But again, initially, it was just simply falling into this thing where, hey, I want my child to have better than me. I'm in a law student and I'm a law student at, a, you know, I'll be candid, probably at a slightly more than a mediocre school. It's been a great accomplishment for me from certainly from where I came from to go to the next level I yeah. need to make sure that my, my child is more prepared than I was when my father said to me as a sophomore, hey, you know, in two years, you got to decide to do something. Like, well, what would have happened if he had this epiphany when I was born? And I'm like, I have that opportunity so I can.
0: I don't know why it flashed in my mind when you were talking about your father. I don't know where you're going, but you're getting up from out of here. Absolutely, (laughs)
2: yes.
0: But that's, that's a lesson within itself, which you already spoke to. What I like about what you did with your son and listening to what you just shared is you actually broadened his worldview at a very young age. And to me, that is so valuable. If I could take things that I understand now and drop it into my 20-something self, what might I have not done? So you kind of gave him a, I don't know, a quick or you sped up his process in understanding because worldview is so important. Mm -hmm. It's not just knowing who you are, but knowing what the world is and then deciding how you navigate through it. Mm -hmm. Uh, And that's touching on cultural things. That's touching on politics. That's touching on religion. That's touching on education. It's all of that stuff. So you gave him a beautiful gift. I know that one of the things you say is, you know, there are certain things all men or men should do the moment they discover that they're going to be a father. Tell us about that.
1: Well, the moment that I discovered that I was going to be a father, the first thing I did was probably utter some expertise in my brain. I didn't didn't say them out loud. My wife woke me up one morning. It was around... 4 30 in the morning. I, I I'm I'm married to a vampire. I'm certain <laughs> she's a vampire. She's always up and about in the middle of the night.
2: Wow. Um, on
1: this particular day, actually I had visited we were in LA. She was working as a uh, admissions officer. And uh-huh. I wanted we had we'd been married just over a year and I wanted to surprise her. So I flew out to LA and I sat in LAX. It was at least 10 hours. And her, because her flight from Houston, she was traveling with in Houston and it was delayed. She shows up. So we spend several days in LA together.
2: Mm-hmm. And
1: one of those days, without turning this into something X-rated, I said to her, uh-huh. you're pregnant. And she was like, what? I said, I'm telling you, I'm positive.
2: I, you told I, her that she's I pregnant. And uh-huh. she was
1: like, what? 30 days later, ma'am, she says, um, Nate, wake up, wake up. Said, what? She says, it's plus, it's plus. What are you talking about? And I go into the bathroom and there's an early pregnancy test on the couch. And I'm like, oh OMG. So when I see that, I'm like, all right, I didn't want to be a father. And now I'm going to be a father. But
0: you I didn't did ever want to be a father or just not at that moment?
1: I did not want to be a father. Wow. Um, because I feared I was going to be like my dad.
0: The mm-hmm. last
1: memory was, I'm going to be like him. and I, I don't want to be a father. But fortunately, we're going to see The Lion King. And I got to see these two animated, fictionalized characters as a father and son. And I'm like, okay, there's actually hope for me after all. You're I'm
0: like, I'm
1: going to be Mufasa. I'm going to be Mufasa. <laughs> Mufasa and Simba can figure it out, then I can figure it out.
0: And uh-huh. in
1: that movie, this is no, this is no exaggeration. I wish the folks at Disney one day would call me. We could do something <laughs> really great together. In that, mo- in that moment, I started to see lessons that I could extract mm-hmm. from my life with my child. So one of those things, like, for example, was the naming ceremony. When we learned we were, we were going to have uh, a child, we put together a list of names, male and female,
2: mm-hmm.
1: names that we wanted our child to not only live up to but to live into and then we looking at the lion king we watched this community of people standing below pride rock and we said well he needs our child needs a village so we then went about extracting putting together a village that would then be able to support him and so we wrote everybody that that would would be a part of the village and we said we're expecting a child and that we're expecting the child on this day where we hear the names we think we might want to name the child, but we're not sure. We want you to come over and visit with us. So if we had known you, we just said, we want you to come over and visit the child with us so that you can be a part of the child's message. So, And we didn't name him for eight days. So we said, we're going to do what the ancients is used to do. We're going to wait in the first seven days and watch the child's behavior and characteristics and so forth. And then on the eight, the morning of the eighth day at midnight, we're going to go outside, we're going to watch them and bathe them and essentially baptize them and hold them up to the creator and tell them that there's nothing greater than him and make the connection between him and creator. Those are the kinds of things that we set about putting in place before he was
0: So I have to ask, what did you ultimately name him? So
1: his name, I, I,
0: so, so I thought
1: I was going to, we were going to name him Malik. Because <laughs> I'm a big fan fan of Malcolm X. Mm-hmm. And I thought, well, I, I want him to be a movie. But when, I, when he was born, he did not cry. He entered the world and kind of in this sort of regal fashion, like, yo, I'm here. He had a cone head and the doctor you know, flattened his head out for him. And I was like, okay. And so we just kept watching him. And we would walk past the nursery and he just had this kind of regal position to us. Mm-hmm. So his name, we ended up naming him Naeem. And Naeem is Arabic, and it means means benevolent. Mm -hmm. And his middle name is Swahili, which is Kahari, which means kingly. So his first two names are benevolent king. And -hmm. then we decided that, well, I'm going to say, I said, I'm going to get rid of my last name and give him a separate last name. I want to give him a last name that connects him to his origin, which is Africa. I don't Mm -hmm. know exactly where in Africa. So we searched for names, and we came across a Yoruba name, that is bandelli which meant born away from home.
2: So oh, wow. his full
1: name is now uh, Naim Kahari turner Bandeli, which means he is a benevolent king despite being born from slavery and away from home.
0: Beautiful. Nice. Wow. I love that you put so much thought into it. Names are so important. In my opinion, it's kind of um, prophetic. You're calling things into existence. So every time someone's calling you, it's important what your name is. You don't want to keep being called, I don't know, loser. My mother named me Pamela because it was her favorite soap opera star. Fortunately, the name means all honey. So at least I can come up with a little something sweet from it. <laughs> Sometimes I look at what people name their child and I'm thinking, oh my, my, my. Okay, so we've teeter tottered on a few little fun facts as well. You describe yourself as a human committed to living with the joy on purpose and helping, serving, and making sure everyone knows their life matters. How did you come to believe that this is part of your purpose?
1: Most everything that I've I've done of late, I would say, let's say the last since 2012, because that's when, when my son left to go to move to Brazil, he reminded me that I should do more.
2: Mm. And
1: one of the things he said I should do, because I had no idea, I had no clue what that meant.
2: Mm-hmm. He said,
1: Dad, take everything you've been doing for me and do it for other people. Okay. I'm not sure what that means. But but I'll figure it out because you're leaving now, and I don't I don't have I can't do that I can't pour into you anymore, so I'll pour into to other people. I also had a friend who who passed in 2008. The circumstances around his passing I I won't I won't say out of respect for his family, but um, it it broke my heart, and I felt a sense of responsibility that I failed him, and and I didn't want to fail anyone ever again. So my son, he, he knew that I've been trying to do stuff in addition to helping him, but stuff for other people. Mm-hmm. And Once once he decided he was leaving, he said, hey, you just need to go all the way out doing everything you can to help other people the same way. And so then I was reminded, it, with him telling me that, I was reminded of the five people who helped me. And I was like, okay, well, I can never pay them back. And now now his child is reminding me that here's how I can pay it for it. That's what I've been doing. At least I've been efforting to do that ever since.
0: How beautiful that you impacted a human being in the person of your son who has that level of character and wherewithal and ability to see and you have spent his life giving him guidance and then he was able to bless you and give you back guidance. That's always full always. circle and beautiful yeah yeah
2: he's the
1: one who told he's the one who published the book so like mm-hmm. the, the quick story with the book is that in in 2011 uh, in december we were we, around this time we went to to vegas and none mm-hmm. of us gamble so mm-hmm. and at the time he was he was 16 and somebody's gambling and we're like we're not really having a great time so we, we realized we're close enough to the grand canyon we never visited so we get in the car we drive to the Grand canyon Naeem, my son, and I run around the Grand Canyon like two little uh, <laughs> 16 year olds. And we're running around the edge, and my wife is yelling and screaming at us to get off the edge of the canyon.
2: Okay. And I'm out
1: there telling okay. him how great it is on the edge and how everything about life is best on the edge. And how Don't you feel exhilarated? <laughs> we just read a novel, The Alchemist by Paula Coelho, who's a uh-huh. Brazilian. He's saying, yeah man, I could if you're right. I feel alive. You're right. And just like in the book, it's time for me to go search for my pyramid and find my legend. And and I think <laughs> I'm not going back to high school for my senior year that I, sh- I should go chase my dream of playing professional soccer in another country. And I'm like, well, I didn't say all of that. I'm about to jump off this clip. Your mama don't okay. know me in this conversation. So I agree. I said, okay. He said, Dad, I've done everything you've asked me to do. I've got 33 college credits. I've finished. I started high school as a seventh grader. I would just be going back for a senior year just really to do nothing. I don't want to do that. So I'm like, okay. So when we, we go to Brazil, and he, he tries out for a couple clubs. He he loved it there. There's a couple clubs that make him an offer. He finds the club that he, he wants to play for. He says, I'm good. It's a wrap. I'm staying here.
2: So yeah. we
1: come home. To pack for good. I've written him all these letters as a child. He's going to be 7,000 miles from me. He has declared that he is grown now, right? He's ready to go. (laughs) So I put the letters, some of the letters that I've written him in the Bible. And I'm Mm -hmm. I'm thinking, I don't know, we're not going to communicate very much. Mm -hmm. Not going to have the old days. So I'll give him these letters because most of these letters, the intention of them to begin with was to write him as an adult so that the letters would always have meaning. But now he's. Plus to an adult, and I give him the letters. I, I leave him at the academy, and I go to Rio for a few days. My wife reaches out and says, he's not doing well. He may have to come back home. I get back to the academy. He says to me, did you put the letters in any particular order? And I said, no. I said, your mom said, you're not doing well. You, you ready to go? No, no, I'm, I'm good, Dad. Listen, I read the first three letters. I remember my purpose. I'm fine. But here's what <laughs> we're going to do. Whenever I come home, and I don't know when that is, we're going to take these letters, and we're going to put them in a book, and we're going to share them with the world. Dad, you tell me I can do something. Not only do I know I can do it, I know it's supposed to happen. Fifteen months or so later, he had a concussion and came home, and he set out and put the book together. He found the book cover designer. He found the editor to edit the book. He found the the platform to, to print and publish the book. He found the publicity company to help us to promote the book. He did that. I, I, oh just, I just wrote the letter to get all
0: the work to make it out. That's beautiful. I keep saying that. That was so good. <laughs> Thanks for sharing that. So we're at the point in my show where I always ask the guests, all of my guests, the one last question. Okay. And it's, which one final gem can you leave with our audience today of all the beautiful, wonderful nuggets you've shared if they forget everything else, what's the one that you're like, please hold on to this one? To help them get to their next level of best, of course.
1: The, the one thing I would ask you to hold on to is the word who. Simple three letters, W-H-O. I believe that the word who is the most important word in all of human life. And the reason that I believe who is the most important word, because who defines your end. It also defines your journey to get to that end. Mm. Who tells us who you'll be when your obituary is written? Mm. Who tells us who you are when your eulogy is spoken? Mm. Who is who will be who you were on your tombstone, on your epitaph? So for me, each and every day is an opportunity to live out who, who I'd hope to be, but my time on this planet. And that's, that's the word I would, would ask people to remember. That every day you are living, you are living and breathing what will be your obituary, your eulogy, and your epitaph. And you get the chance right now to be who you want to be when you're coming. I
0: I love it. And again, it's making me reflect on some principles in my own life. For me, again, looking from a, a spiritual perspective, I certainly have thought about it the way you just shared it. But I also think, too, God has invested so much in us, put so many gifts and talents in us. I certainly don't want to meet my maker and say, here's all these gifts back. Uh, I didn't use them. And I've even heard people say, you don't want to like get to heaven and go to a warehouse or something and see all the things, the gifts God gave you that's still packaged. You never opened them. <laughs> Absolutely. I think it's along the same lines of, of what you're sharing there. Yeah, yeah. But that that really helps me move forward. It helps me conquer my fears. Uh, The thought that I don't want to be a person who's like, yeah, I didn't do anything with what you gave me. And you have to love yourself and value yourself enough to know that you do in fact have something to offer the world. It's not arrogant to say that we all have something. It's just, for some reason, life's experiences or whatever the case may be have caused you to not value what's been given to you.
1: I would say the, the unique thing is because we talk about uh, parenting somewhat is that children don't have a problem with imagining who they want to be in, a group, hmm. in the grandness of scale. And they have no reason to believe they could do anything. I even it. But mm-hmm. if you ask the child, before we ruin them, because we ruin them. I we have child.
2: You <laughs> know, have these
1: grand, these grand imaginings. We reduce them to such a thing that they become versions of us who don't want to do an and act on any of the possibilities. And for for me, when I think of who, to your point, certainly, again, I always say, there's always a trinity for me in everything that I do. Yeah. But I'm thinking, okay, Nate, who are you going to be when your body is no more? Who will people right. remember that body that you have? Who will people remember you in terms of your spirit? When mm-hmm. you enter the room, when you talk to people, how do people feel? How do you make people feel? And mm-hmm. then right, and and how who are you going to be intellectual? What what record will you leave so that people will know the thoughts that you had about right. it? So that's part of like the reason I write and, and I speak. these are opportunities to share and things to be chronicled. And say, hey, one day Nate Turner was here and he actually did think of something that, that mattered.
0: Yes. I'm going to embrace that who too. That's another way I'm going to reflect on, on these concepts, these thoughts, this way of being to help remind me to stay focused. Thanks so much. And now I would like you to just share any information that you want my audience to know about how to get your books, how to contact you, to have you as a speaker, just anything you want to share. Sure.
1: The well, first thing I want to share is I want to share my gratitude and my appreciation to you. I thank you for huh. for taking the time to talk to me today. I certainly appreciate you first taking the time to get to know me a little bit to decide that I was worthy of this conversation. I'm I'm serious. I'm, I'm grateful. I'm mindful that today could be my last day. You could be the last person that I talk to. And and I want to make certain that I leave you feeling like you matter to me and you matter to me. So that to me is the most important thing that I could offer as a final as a final word. I can tell you where you can find me. I have a website NathanielATurner.com. All of that is that all of that secondary, the most important thing to me at this moment is for you to know that I'm grateful for the opportunity.
0: Wonderful. Thank you. And the feeling is mutual. I'm not just saying it. It's been a- Most pleasant conversation. It's even, I'll be honest, it's funner than I thought it was going to be, too. (laughs) I like the way we play off off of each other in conversation and just the exchange of uh, insights, wisdom, concepts, lessons learned, all of that in an effort. It feels like this conversation was a joint effort to try to help make other people's lives better and in the process, making our lives better, too. And again, you have these books, um, Stop the Bus, Raising Superman, Journey Forward, which is a wonderful journaling book, and you've shared your website, and I'll also uh, make it a point to put that information in the show notes as well. Okay. I am deeply honored and humbled, and I thank you, too, for agreeing to be on my show and showing interest. My
1: pleasure. So, anytime, anywhere. I'm
0: I'm there for you. Thank you. Well, friends, thanks for joining me for another episode of the Envision Together going to our next level of best podcast. I hope today's topic inspired you to envision a brighter future, getting to your next level of best and to urge others to reach theirs as well. If you are encouraged by today's episode, subscribe and share it with your family and friends. Also, please write a review. It will help me to reach a wider audience with a message of hope and inspiration. Don't forget to follow me on Facebook, Twitter, or Instagram, and share your thoughts about today's episode. Until next time, envision the future you want to see.